everybody to another edition of the Philly Experience Podcast. My name is Max Gretzel, joined by Tanner Gilmartin and Tyre Hood. Tanner, I got to ask you again real quick before we jump into the show. I know you had another trip because you're taking trips all over the place. And T, you got one coming up yourself, so that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm, I'm tying this in today because Tanner's trip wasn't a vacation trip. I mean, in a way it was. In a way it was a vacation trip, but it ties into this because it was a Phillies trip related to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Phillies just had – you know, a pretty poor series overall in Pittsburgh, uh, even though they were able to salvage the last game of that series. So we definitely have to touch on that as well. Eagles, we'll start with them today and talk about training camp, a few things that team wants to mention here as we kick things off. And then, of course, jump into a little bit of the NBA draft, which maybe to some people in their minds think it's lost a little bit of its luster. Do we know it's hard? A good point off camera a little bit earlier about the fact that the Sixers are no longer in the lottery. And maybe that's some of the reason why Sixer fans aren't as excited because all of our picks, uh, hopefully for now and maybe in a a couple of years down the road, are going to be in the late 20s or maybe even around 30, hopefully, if we can get there someday. So, uh, T, we'll start off with you and and talk about the Eagles in training camp here. I know the biggest story last week was Steven Nelson Mm -hmm. signing as cornerback number two on this team. And I've heard mixed reviews so far from what I've been watching and seeing on Twitter with videos and tweets from reporters about Jalen Hurts missing some easy throws, making some solid throws. I've heard also him missing a few guys that are, uh, you know, on set seven on no drills and things of that nature, missing some open receivers when there's really no defense even on the field, which kind of concerns me. Again, I'm still trying to be here and buy in the Hurts as a starter you know, why or why should I not buy into him uh, in training camp so far? So here's the thing. Um, yeah, when he, when training camp first started last week, um, yeah, Jalen Hurts was horrible. Uh, that, and that's putting it nicely. That's about as nice as pretty much I can put it. But it, it seems like Jalen Hurts is getting better over time. Um, he's getting chemistry with his receivers. He's getting chemistry with the running backs. He's getting better at his throws. Today is actually the first day of practice with full pads on. So, you know, I'm still tracking that as well. But you know what? Jalen Hurts is a young quarterback. And look, it most I'm, I'm tired of the rhetoric that guys have to come in to these leagues and they have to be instant contributors. Like, this is not the case here. As a matter of fact, when Jalen Hurts was drafted, Jalen Hurts was supposed to be a backup. He wasn't slated to be a starter anytime soon. However, due to some unforeseen circumstances with a quarterback that has now an injured foot, which we will get into a little later. Let me calm down. He has been thrust into the starting quarterback position. So because of these things, you know, all I'm going to say is, Listen, it's training camp, and I'm just saying to everybody, practice patience, all right? Just relax. You know, it's training camp. They're working out the kinks of of everything. This is a new coaching staff. This is a new coaching – this is a new offensive playbook. And, you know, people are still getting it together. People are still learning on the fly. Listen, it just just take some time. Just relax. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying is just as as Aaron Rodgers once said, just relax. Relax. That's all. I got. Guys. I got real quick here, Tanner. I want to go to you next because we got breaking news oh. into the Philly Experience podcast, and I really? think Tanner, you might already know what it is. Uh, everybody getting the updates here. Uh-oh. Andre Drummond has signed a one-year contract with the 76ers to be the backup center of Joel Embiid. So, that, Tanner, you real quick, your your reaction to Andre Drummond signing in Philly? Woo! You know what? That definitely fills the gap for Dwight Howard now. He went to the Lakers. 
And you're like, who's going to be that guy to step up when Embiid's not in the game? And for Andre Drummond, an experienced guy like him to come in, it definitely gives you hope for the upcoming season. But I know us as Sixers fans um, have been checking our phones constantly looking for a big move or where Ben Simmons is going, especially during the draft, because we didn't think Ben Simmons, uh, us, I think us three didn't think Ben Simmons was going to be here after the draft. We were no. expecting some movement. Um, we were talking about maybe that draft pick at 28. It's not going to be there for the Sixers because they trade it. But the asking price for Daryl Morey is high, but I'm not mad at it because you have a guy like Ben Simmons, who's very young. He was rookie of the year. He's an all-star guy um, going in. And if it's, it might be run it back Philly again. And now you have a little bit of awkwardness between Ben Simmons and the organization, especially after seeing himself in so many trade rooms, ghosting the team. Um, it's going to be a complicated offseason. But when you bring Andre Drummond in, a guy who can be a leader, sort of a bench leader, I guess you could say, um, for this team, that's definitely good news for the Sixers. It's not, it's not bad. No doubt. And last night we see Dwight Howard going back to the Lakers. And now one of the Lakers centers and Andre Drummond comes to Philly. It's almost a flip-flop of some sorts, but you get a younger Andre Drummond. I think the contract details haven't come out yet, but I'm expecting somewhere uh, around one year, $5 million, $4 million range for Andre Drummond. I think that's what I'm hearing. It could be more than that. It's a veteran um, minimum. But, but the thing is, you know, we're talking about a guy in Andre Drummond who just a couple of years ago with Detroit thinking that he could get uh, a pretty large, hefty contract and then, you know, I think maybe not his individual play, uh, but couple that with playing in Detroit and playing on a poor team and, you know, not really getting a lot of national attention, struggling uh, more and more the last season and a half maybe. Uh, of course, in the bubble, the Pistons didn't get to go be, uh, that one season because they didn't have a good enough record. Um, so overall, Andre Drummond, two years later, after having one of the best rebounding years of his career, um, is now coming to Philly on a very cheap contract. And I think Dwight Howard, a guy that, People were fans of in this city. I wasn't a huge fan of them. I thought I kind of just got sick and tired of the technical fouls, the meaningless, you know, aggressiveness on the court where he would literally jump. What was that one play in the playoffs where he jumped on Trey Young's back? I mean, just some really oh, stupid geez. plays where I, at first it was fun in games. You know, you get a guy with a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, a lot of antics on the sideline with the Frosties and whatnot. But at the end of the day, when I'm trying to sit here and win a championship, I don't have time for kid drama. I'm trying to win a title especially in the playoffs. He had a couple of decent games, but a guy you just can't really rely on. Um, and again, for the men men veteran minimum, I get it. You take it. But I think Andre Drum could come in here. I'm not, I know him and Embiid have history, but I still think Andre Drummond in the right role could uh, still be productive. I don't know what you guys think, but I think he could. Some may him. say... Some may say that Andre Drummond is Joel Embiid's son, but that is up for debate. <laughs> well, I, I will say this: I think the way the way the Lakers used him last year, him along with Mark Gasol, really wasn't a good fit there in LA. I think with LeBron, Anthony Davis, I'm Mark Gasol. Of course, I mentioned there's a lot of bigs clogging up the paint. I thought I liked a lot from what I saw with him in Cleveland uh, before the Cavaliers traded for Jared Allen, who they just gave $100 million to. They traded mm. for Jared Allen midseason. And once Andre Drummond, his minutes declined and he had to kind of split, I think he kind of maybe lost a little bit of his, you know, of his game overall. I think his game, you know, suffered because of that. I hope that he can come in here and really buy into this Philly culture. 
I think he's a hard-nosed player, which I like. And again, I'm big on culture here in Philly. You got to love the city. You got to buy in. I think he will. I think, you know, and be taking him under his wing. Hopefully, of course, they play two separate games with Embiid being a lot more polished around the rim and even taking those step-out jumpers. But at the end of the day, to give us some run, maybe 18 to 20 minutes, but also having a guy with experience, a guy who if Embiid needs to miss a game here or there for rest, you have a guy that can get definitely go out there and maybe give you 30 minutes because Dwight Howard, he's not a guy that can give you 30 minutes anymore. He would only give you around 17, which is one of the reasons we had to play Tony Bradley a lot early on last season. So hopefully Andre Drummond is a guy that can come in here um, and he's not going to be a world beater by any means, but we're trying to really still surround this team with players. And again, Ben Simmons, I think is the main thing we're still all focused on, but let's t- talk about Jalen Hurts. I want to get back to that, that conversation that we were having early on T because mm. I'm like I said, I'm still trying to buy into Jalen Hurts. I haven't done it yet. I truthfully don't think Jalen Hurts is going to win a Super Bowl with the Eagles. If I had to bet on it right now, but again, that doesn't mean I hate the guy. I still want to give him a chance. I really don't want to trade for Deshaun Watson now that those rumors have died down in recent weeks. But Tanner, I didn't get your opinion on the Jalen Hurts situation, of course, and what you've heard, what you've seen from him uh, with mixed reviews early on in training camp. Well, what I have saw, and this is something that I already knew and, uh, and a lot of other people already knew, that Jalen Hurts can be a leader and he showed that he can be a leader in practice and the way that he commands and huddles and stuff like that. But one thing I saw that his game was really improved upon is the deep ball. Now he was missing a few throws, but the coaching staff has really been impressed by his improvement uh, with the deep ball. And I mean, that's gotta be helped by Devante Smith, who is unfortunately injured. He's, he's week to week with that knee sprain, mm-hmm. but uh, just think of the possibilities of Jalen Hurts developing that deep ball. Now he can run his, his running. I believe I, I was watching a few um, videos on his grades so far for spring training and his running game is at an A right now. And that's something that we can definitely see just from the, the, the few games he played last season, the way he could just carry dudes on his back, diving into the, uh, um, past the goal line. Uh, I forget what game it was now, but he, he pulled a full grown man into the end zone on his back. And this is a quarterback. We're talking about Arizona. I think. Yeah, that was the Arizona game. So the strength of Jalen hurts is not questioned. It, it, everyone knows that he he's a strong guy. But for me, this is just – or I, I've been saying spring training. This isn't baseball. But uh, we know what I'm talking about here. Um, for for training camp, this is something that I don't really get too involved in, though, because you could have guys who are just showing out uh, in training camp, really impressing everyone. But once they sit on that field opening uh, for the first game of the season, it could be a completely different story. But I'm really like seeing um, the, the amount of positivity going towards Jalen Hurts and um, how he – now these Deshaun Watson rumors have died down, so that really means that this team is is seeing what Jalen Hurts can do, and they're impressed by it. This, it's about damn time that they're, that they're impressed by it because of the simple fact that, look, you drafted this guy in the second round. That's a pretty high draft pick, and I'm sorry – but like I said before, before the breaking news, you just got to let guys develop. I think that's the one thing that, you know, across, you know, every league, teams do not, teams just don't allow that no more. They expect these guys, these come these guys to come out of college and just start, you know, contributing right away. And the reality is that's not necessarily always going to be the case. And I'm sorry. It, it's just not going to happen. Like sometimes guys are going to 
to need time to develop. It happens. And we just need to practice patience with it at this point. All right. Look what happened the last time we threw everything at a quarterback. He got up and left and didn't want us no more. So let this guy take, let's take our time. Let's develop him. Let's get him comfortable in the offense. And let's go from here. Now, if he shows this year, Signs that you don't necessarily want to have him as a franchise quarterback, then you address that by season's end. But right now, let's just see what Jalen Hurts has. All right, let's just everybody relax, please. Relax. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I think that's one of the main things that we have to do is just to see how this season plays out. And of course, you have the three first round picks next year, hopefully. And this is kind of when I want to bring up the Carson one situation getting hurt yeah. in Indianapolis. It's ridiculous. The positive of this situation, if we could take one out of, it, is that. Even if Wentz doesn't play the 75% of snaps, we still get that second-round pick, which is still going to be relatively high. It's not a first-round pick, of course, but it's still something compared to nothing is you know a big picture picture that I'm focused on right now. But at the end of the day, a guy who, T, I think we were talking about it off-camera. We talked about the great season in 2017. Then you know he gets hurt, obviously tears the ACL. Those things happen. Rehabs, comes back. We'll see how he looks the following year plays decent at best, in my opinion, and then breaks his back against the Giants halfway through that next season. At that point, you're dealing with damaged goods, and you really had to make a decision. Are we going to give it one more year? Are we going to cut bait with it immediately? Ultimately, they made the wrong decision. They gave him that fat contract, came back in 2020, really no injuries to deal with at all, and he just played poorly. So they just ran the course one year too long. Now he goes over to Indianapolis, of course, has another injury. I mean, this is a guy you're talking about with knee injuries, back injuries. Um, luckily there hasn't been any arm injuries with them uh, because you never want to see a player just continue to have, you know, a lot of talent, but just get hurt constantly. And now with a, a foot injury, I mean, this is going to affect his mobility because that was one of the main things that he was great at early on in his career was being able to escape the pocket and run. He's not really going to have that same athleticism anymore with his knee in the injury, his foot injury. And now you're talking about a back of the back with a quarterback injury. Um, it, it's, it sucks not only for Wentz, but also now for the Eagles possibly. Uh, when the new for first off, if you're on, if you've been under a rock here, here's what's going on. So we've been fussing about this scenario since the trade went down. All right. In order for the Philadelphia Eagles to get a first round draft pick, Carson Wentz needs to play 75% of snaps in no playoffs or 70% of snaps and the Colts make the playoffs. Now, of course, the scenario we want is 75% of snaps, and no playoffs, because then that first round pick becomes ours and the worse that the Colts play, the better the draft pick. I kind of seen this scenario happen, but you know, apparently he's had a foot injury since high school. That's gone under the radar of every single medical staff known to man. So when the news first went down, my initial thought was, this is some bullshit. Hey, that was my initial thought. And then I'm, then I just start outraging because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is exactly what I thought would happen. All right. This is the exact scenario. Carson Wentz getting hurt sometime in training camp or in the games and costing us our doggone draft pick. I knew something like this was going to happen. Man's had one job, one damn job. I couldn't even get that right. I am pissed off. Like it is absolutely ridiculous. <sighs> Oh, I got a headache. Uh, if I if I could introduce a conspiracy theory, because I, for one, am and all I'm all about conspiracy theories uh, for the most part. Oh, please do uh, on a, on a sports base. But 
I think Carson Wentz, after he leaves the Eagles, maybe he had that, that foot injury had been bothering him for a while. And he understands the, the details of the trade and how if he plays 75% or 70% of the snaps, depending on how the team does, the Eagles couldn't get that first round pick if he doesn't play um, at least 70% of the snaps. So I'm thinking he's going into Indianapolis. He knows he's now their franchise guy. Mm -hmm. He says, instead of playing injured uh, my first season for this team, why don't I hold back? I get my foot fixed, screw the Eagles, and then I come back much stronger next season for the Colts so I can really impress these guys. It's an outrage. It's just a conspiracy theory from me. But I feel like since Carson Wentz was so hurt and so just carried about the wrong way about this whole situation with the Eagles, I'm thinking maybe it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that he's so pity that he would do this to the organization. That you got to be a sick human being. You got to be a sick human being to do that. But you That's never know. I mean, true. I mean, so petty. It it really is. That is if that petty. is the case, then that is that is embarrassing. That's um, petty that's to the just, nth degree. Jesus. Yeah, no doubt. And I think on the Carson Wentz note, you know, you look at the Colts team this year. Of course, we focus on the fact that he has to play seventy five percent or seventy percent, and the Colts make the playoffs. But if you look at that team, Quentin Nelson now their star. Guard on the offensive lines dealing with an injury. Their offensive receiving core with T.Y. Hilton, who's getting old, Michael Pittman Jr., promising young rookie, but no experience. It's 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 shaky. The main thing that made the Colts great last year, in my opinion, was their defense. We'll see if that's able to stay, you know, I guess at a stay playing or ranked at a high level around the league. Of course, Jonathan Taylor there is a good running back. So you hope they're able to be successful, make the playoffs at this point, because the more we look at it now, five to twelve weeks is the time frame for Wentz. So we don't know if that's going to be missing week one or missing, you know, the first four weeks if this doesn't heal properly. So if you're a betting man right now, you're looking at it and you're saying to yourself probably that Wentz might not play 75%. So now we have to basically be Colts fans and hope they make the playoffs because once that, that would bring it down to like, what, like 70%, which I know only 5% difference, but still it's better than, uh, better than nothing, I should say. And with, with that, when we look at the Eagles, I want to now focus on the defense here. We talked about Jalen Hurts. Obviously, Devontae Smith dealing with that knee injury should be uh, minor. I don't think it's anything too serious. But again, another just headache that we have to deal with as Eagles fans. Another first round pick getting banged up early so on. Before you but, get before you get one hundred percent into the defense, I, I do want to say this real quick. Um, so there's one battle which I think everybody predictably you know knew that was going to come true, and it looks like that Jordan Mailata is taking a stronghold of that left tackle position because apparently Andre Dillard has just been getting worked by everybody, by Derek Barnett and everybody else who's lined up opposite him. And and Andre Dillard's the only one at the left tackle position that's been able to hold his position um, with efficiency. So looks like Andre Dillard's going to be – not Andre Dillard. Um, Jordan Mailata's going to be your left tackle for the future. I like it, too. I thought he was going to regardless. I think Andre Dillard – I haven't really seen Andre Dillard in action, whether that be training camp, whether that be preseason games, that's going to be big for me to see because obviously the guys are first Trump pick coming out from Washington state, I believe, is that correct to out there or was it Stanford one or the other? Yeah. Um, and I think we were high on him. I think last year we actually thought of him as maybe as trade bait. And now it's gotten to the point where we're just literally running in circles here talking about Eagles training camp. I mean, that's where Philadelphia sports has left us. 
we're sitting here to talk about training camp and preseason Eagles football games with a team that some expect to win maybe five or six games. I mean, I think we should all be depressed right now, on all honesty. I mean, that's where we are Jesus. at. I mean, it's just really a shame considering we were going off the highest of highs with the Sixers, the highest of highs with the Eagles a couple of years ago. And now the Phillies, who we're going to get into soon, have kind of just been so mediocre that the Eagles have started early for us. And that's why we continuously go on and on and on about why the Eagles are going to be good this year. At least I'm holding out hope. I mean, we did the show a couple of weeks ago, 10 wins for me. That This is a team that is number one in this city for a reason. And again, Jalen Hurts with a lot of pressure on him to really lead this offense. So many question marks. I know we love to talk about it, but really, it really is with especially the coaching staff. I know T's high on the coaching staff. I mean, he, how many times did we come on the show last year and bash Jim Schwartz about his terrible defensive oh, schemes geez. and things like that? Oh, so it's it's a really yeah. awaiting game. We can talk about it in circles and give our opinions as much as we want. But with that, I want to I want to flip the script here. And I really, before we get into the fields, I want to talk about the NBA because I want to get your guys' opinions on the fact that. It has lost some of its loss during the last couple of years. Hold not on. only because hey, uh, Max, I think uh, Tanner, did you want to bring up something about the NFL as well? I did. If we, if we had time, I yeah. want to talk about oh. this, um, the NFL and the COVID protocol that they're going, they're putting forth uh, with this upcoming season. Um, just reading the um, a paragraph from Kevin Patra, mm. uh, an NFL writer right now. As the NFL approaches the 2021 season, the league informed clubs that it would not extend the season um, to accommodate a COVID-19 outbreak among unvaccinated players that causes a game cancellation. NFL Network's Tom uh, Polissero reported Thursday that the NFL sent a memo, a memo to its club stating that if a game cannot be rescheduled during the 18-week schedule due to a COVID-19 outbreak among unvaccinated players, the team with the outbreak will forfeit and be credited a loss. What? So now this is news that we've heard about the, the last uh, week. This is from July 22nd. But I wanted to get your guys' opinion, trying to avoid um, any political routes, of course. This is strictly about football and um, the rules that they're putting forth. How do you guys feel about this? And do you think that every player in the NFL should get a va- vaccinated? Or do you think that the rules are unfair with the, the forfeit put forth? In terms of your last question, um, what you asked, and that was, should every player get vaccinated? Honestly, that's really to each his own. I'm not going to say whether or not a player yeah. should or shouldn't yeah. do with their body. That's not my position. I personally have made the personal choice to get vaccinated, but that's just my choice. You know, nobody forced me to do it. So I'm not going to expect anybody. I'm no, I'm not going to force anybody to get vaccinated. That is their choice. That is their body. I that I'm I'm not one of those people. However, this is an interesting stipulation because now if you start, if you are the person who's unvaccinated and you start the outbreak with your team, there are ramifications to that. Like, like, okay. So I believe that the Eagles are, I think they said the Eagles are one of the teams that are 90% vaccinated. So that's really good. So the likelihood of a breakout of a, a COVID breakout happening amongst the Eagles is it's it's slim, but in terms of the other teams who's not even close, I, I think there's some teams in like in the 40, 50 percentile rate, like they they run a risk of having an outbreak and in, in, in catching losses, and the NFL is clearly making a strong stance as to you know look. You're not going to we're not going to reschedule games for you because you decided you didn't want to be vaccinated and you want to cause an outbreak at at, at yet the expense of your team. So, look, 
We made these rules, and look, we're going to live with it. And the NFL did this for a number of reasons. One of the main reasons is, you know, they're selling these TV contracts to, you know, Fox, CBS, you know, NBC. You know, they're expected to play these games at a certain time, and if they don't, then the NFL loses money. That's a part of the contract. So the NFL's like, look, I'm looking out for my pockets. You messing around and not doing what you're supposed to do, Hey, if you, you wanted to make your choice, well, guess what? We're making ours too. We'll give you an L. So now it's, it's in the team's hands. The NFL has basically taken these, taken this, um, <clears throat> taking this situation and putting it in team's hands. And look, I'm, I'm all for it. Hey, it is what it is. I know DeAndre Hopkins has been one of the main guys outspoken about, you know, not getting the vaccine, but having to forfeit, you know, wins and losses and things like that. So it's understandable. I mean, without turning it into a political issue, I think one of the main reasons uh, it has to be brought up is because people aren't getting the vaccine or are getting the vaccine for different reasons. I mean, there's some people that are just being stubborn and not getting the vaccine for you know no specific reason whatsoever. There's some people that have religious beliefs and things like that, um, which is completely understandable. So yeah. I, I think if you look at a big picture, I don't think you can force everybody to get the vaccine no. uh, because people have you know different beliefs and different reasons to not get it. Um, from an NFL standpoint, does that mean that teams should be forced to forfeit games? I don't think I would go that far, only because I saw what happened last year, and I saw a Denver Broncos team with a receiver at quarterback for one game, which as a product for the NFL is not what they want. But to just flat out say we're not going to play the games and we're going to force people to quit or forfeit the games, I think that's probably going a little too far. Well, Max, here, Max, here's the thing. it. The only way you're going to forfeit a game is in extreme measures. Like if most of your team like gets COVID, like see, that's the only way I, I can see a scenario like that happening where a team's going to forfeit the game. Like it would have to be the majority of the team, like to the point where you can't even go into your practice squad and grab guys and play a game. Like that's the only scenario I see that happening. And look, I, like I said before, I, I understand your stance. But, you know, just talking and thinking from an NFL standpoint of view, I understand their stance. Look, I told these companies that we're going to play these games at this time on this date. And guess what? If I don't uphold my end of the contract, I lose money. So as a result, guess what? You're going to have some things taken away from you as well. So I I, I understand it from that point yeah. of view. But like I said, I only see I, I only see games being canceled in an extreme super extreme um, scenario. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but yeah. And I, and I can definitely see both sides with um, the, the NFL and the player side. We mentioned Hopkins, one of the best wide receivers in the game talking about maybe rethinking his future. Um, if the NFL really forces players to get the vaccine, but the thing is nothing's foolproof. Uh, there could be just one player on a team that is unvaccinated. Something happens. He's in a large gathering or something, brings it back to the team and gets a few, maybe a few guys sick, like a staff. And, and then that can start an outbreak um, as well. But for me, these guys are getting played. The, these guys are getting paid to play a game that they love to play. They're getting money, a lot of money, more money than a lot of other jobs. And um, for them, I mean, that's just there's the government workers. They have to get their vaccine um, to work for the government. And 
they're they're working for the NFL, and I you can't force anyone to put anything into their body if they don't want to. It's it's um it's just not right. Um, but I definitely understand forfeits because your other teams that are falling a lot along with guidelines, um, practicing social distancing, doing everything they can, and then a, a visiting team comes in and they get everyone else sick. It's that it's that visiting team's fault. Um, for not following along, for uh, bringing an outbreak over. And then this is going to go into fans, too. You go into some states where the vaccination levels are just below 50%, and you're going to have both um, sides of fans um, next to each other. And that's going to – there's going to be games that are going to be most likely postponed um, during this season, especially the way things are going now with COVID um, getting a little worse. Um, not to be a doomsayer, but I, I do agree with the forfeitures. And I think that T, T brought up the point where it's going to have to be maybe where you're going on a practice squad and then Max mentioned the Broncos. Um, and, and that could happen, but I, I think they, the NFL really does not want to cancel the game, especially after making this season one game longer. Now, um, the stuff's going to happen, but I, I'm going to say I, I do agree with the um, with the rules that the NFL is implementing. The thing that I think about it, or the main reason, I guess, with the whole, uh, with regard to the whole forfeiting situation, I don't think it's going to get that far. Yeah, I don't think there's ever going to be a case where a team's going to be ha- or has to forfeit. Yeah. Now, again, from Tanner's standpoint, if you have like you know 70, 80 percent of your team that has COVID, I mean, you don't want to bring the whole whole team onto a plane and fly them into a different city or something like that. Definitely understandable. That's a terrible idea because uh, it could lead to more outbreaks or whatever. But at the end of the day, I don't think it would get, I mean, of course, like the, the Broncos probably had the worst of it last year or the Ravens had it, had it, had it too, I guess uh, that, that one week against the Steelers, but the Broncos probably had it worse and they still didn't forfeit their games and they, they literally threw a receiver out there at quarterback. So I think it's in the extreme circumstances where you really don't have any other avenues to go and the forfeits really just a wet, the only thing you can do to really, you know, stay safe and whatnot, or uh, maybe a player tests positive, you know, I, maybe some players test positive two weeks prior to the game. Um, and then by that time they're, they don't have it anymore, but maybe some of their teammates get it. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because it, it, it's not a period of time where say you get it on a Monday and you can play on a Sunday, you know, you got to do 14 days. So you're going to, you're going to miss a game. It's just going to, it's just going to come down to how is that timeline going to fall? Is a player going to get COVID on a Wednesday and they can't play the Sunday, but they can play the Sunday after that maybe. And um, will they have enough players? It's all, it's math. I mean, that's what it's going to come down to depending on a fourth or not. It's going to be math with the amount of players and things like that, that people will be able to field and bring, uh, you know, to a team. And again, road games are another story. I mean, when you got to travel then go to hotels and you're eating meals and things like that, instead of just being with your family in isolation and whatnot, that's going to be, it could depend on what team has the outbreak. Is it a road team that has an outbreak or a home team? So many, so many different factors that go into it. And it's going to be another interesting season. I mean, it's not going away anytime soon. And we know that. So hopefully it's not as crazy as it was last year. Um, And we'll have fans back in the stadium, but there's still going to be, fair share of issues yeah. uh, with that being said now I, I i real quick with the nba draft because the sixers aren't in a lottery anymore we have the 28th pick we take Jaden spring of course and at the end of the day it's a guy that either will see rotational minutes being 18 years 18 years old one of the youngest players in the draft um and ba- basically a raw talent that we have to groom or will he be part of the ben simmons trade or whatever 
I mean, who really knows? But at the end of the day, you're not really expected to do much as a 28th overall pick. We saw Tyrese Maxey last year as a mid-20s pick uh, play pretty well in a reserve role for the Sixers. But at the end of the day, I don't think this pick means too much. I think Cameron Thomas was one guy that I truly wanted. He went to LSU. Was a real, I mean, this guy can just put the ball in the basket and really fill it up at a high level. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted him at pick 28. Unfortunately, he went pick 27 to the New York Nets as if they really needed any more firepower. But at the end of the day, I think taking Springer, a raw talent, I don't think I don't expect much of him in a six-year uniform. I personally think he may be traded, to be honest with you. But overall, I just want to see your guys' opinion on not – I mean, it doesn't have to be Sixer-related. It could be NBA draft later as a whole. We know Kate Cunningham went number one overall to the Pistons. Um, I know at the law again, we, we use that word luster, losing its luster. Tanner, again, another thing where he mentioned maybe off-camera that the NFL is – obviously still most prominent when it comes to drafting and whatnot, but still NBA draft, something that we've paid attention to in recent years because the Sixers have always had a high pick, but this year uh, they did not. And you alluded to it um, when you first brought up the topic, um, because me and you were talking about it, you know, off camera and about, you know, why, because even going into the draft, like there was just a lack of excitement. Like typically, you know, everybody get hyped for the draft and we would be doing mocks and when we on us just as a group, we would be texting each other back and forth who we wanted, who we wanted. That didn't happen this year. I think it uh, ultimately, I think it's because the Sixers are now in a position where, you know what? It, it, what's the point of looking into the draft? Like, seriously, what's the point of looking into the draft for us now? Because we're not going to pick in the lottery anytime soon. All right, we're we're a championship contending team, so we're always going to pick near the bottom of the draft. And by then, it's very rare that you're going to grab somebody that, you know, is really going to contribute to the team because for the most part, you're looking for players who are going to contribute now. Like, you're not looking for prospects. You're not looking for guys who you can develop or, you know, somebody you can stash away for the future. You're looking for guys who's going to help you on the team now. And it's it, you're not going to get that for the most part at by the end of the draft. So there was a lack of excitement here in the city. I'm not even going front. Now I'm looking at um, Jalen Springer's stats from his one year at Tennessee, 12 and a half points per game. All right. He shot about 43% from the, from three and shot about eight, little over 80% from the free throw line. So, this kid has skills, but once again, at 12 and a half points a game, eh, that's mediocre for college standards. And like I said, I, I kind of agree with you. He, he just might be trade bait. Unfortunately, I, I hate to say that about a young guy. You know, I, I wish him the best for his career. And, you know, if he does stay here, I hope he does develop with us and develop into a player that, that contributes. But right now we're looking for players that are going to contribute and win us a championship, not guys that we need to develop. So, yeah, he might be just trade bait. I hate to say that, but, yeah. Personally, I think this is a pick that the Sixers did not expect to have. Um, I think that they were looking forward to maybe trading this pick. Um, and, and having something um, out of this Ben Simmons drama right now. But I think they did the best with the situation that they were given. And uh, from what I've seen and heard, Jaden Springer was a good pick uh, at 28. Um, he's another point guard. Uh, he's compared to Tyrese Maxey a lot as well. Um, I, I think going into maybe is he trade bait? It, it's a possibility, but I think it would m- more likely be 
Tyrese Maxey being traded um, be, before Springer. Well, I, I agree because, you know, you have a year of experience with Tyrese Maxey. You have a year on camera. You have a year of film uh, to see him and his strengths and his weaknesses. Um, also an older player, not that he's old, but he, he, you know, Springer being only 18 years old, obviously has a lot of room to grow a lot of raw talent there. And that's kind of one of the things that Tennessee, the volunteers bring into their programs, uh, from a college level, a lot of raw young talent, um, skill sets still needs to be developed, but they have the athleticism to really develop into something. I think that's one of the big things I've seen being a super college basketball fan. And one of the big things that I've seen with not only Tennessee, uh, Springer specifically, um, is the fact that they have certain things they do well and certain things they still have to work on, most like every other college prospect. But the size, the athleticism I like about him, um, whether he can continue to improve and grow and things like that, that remains to be seen. But at the end of the day, we'll just have to play a waiting game here because at the end of the day, like I just said, Simmons trade coming soon, hopefully. A lot, yeah, a lot goes into it. It better because I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm sick of the cryptic tweets. I'm sick of the fact that I, I'm sick of everything at this point. Get, listen, do what you got to do and just get rid of this man. All right. Just, just be rid of Ben Simmons once and for all. All right. So we can all move on with our lives. Just, just please, just, he, he's got to go. He has got do you guys, to go. go ahead. Do you guys think it'll work if, the Sixers do end up keeping Ben Simmons. Like, how would that work? I already mentioned um, the, the awkwardness, the, the potential of how awkward it would be with Ben Simmons just returning after you have Embiid basically throwing uh, Ben Simmons under the bus after that game. Um, Doc Rivers had some things to say. Um, Dwight Howard was standing up for Ben Simmons, but he's not on the team anymore. Coincidentally, he is on the Lakers, and that's a team that's always been connected to Ben Simmons. But um, I just I don't know how this run it back method is going to work if if the Sixers do do that. You can't run. It won't work. Yeah, you can't. You can't run it back with Ben Simmons. Not after what he did. Not after that horrible playoff performance this past year. We're not even talking about previous years past. We're just talking about this past one. There is no way that you have a coach basically throw a player under the bus. You have players throwing this player under the bus. They're, your star player, by the way, your franchise player. There is no scenario that you can come up with to justify bringing back Ben Simmons. Like, there's no freaking way. The only way you can justify bringing back Ben Simmons is if you couldn't find a trade partner to match your to match your wants and your demands. So you're going to try to ride out with him for part of the year, but you still intend on training him sometime during the year. Other than that, there is no scenario that you can come up with to bring this man back. There is none. My whole thing with Ben Simmons, regardless of the talents on the court, is all about his mentality. He doesn't want to get better. He hasn't shown any improvement whatsoever. He's oblivious to all the fans and things like that on social media, laying poolside, really posting pictures of him, uh, whether it be, you know, chilling on vacation or whatnot. I don't want to harp on the whole Wimbledon thing, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's out in the public eye. He knows that. I mean, that's another thing. It's in the public eye, and he knows the camera's going to be on him. So things like that, little petty things uh, like high school drama, stuff like that. I mean, you're a grown man, get in the gym, start working hard. You're in Philadelphia. That's another thing I don't think – I literally don't think – I think that just goes in one ear and out the other with him. I mean, <sighs> people need – people. No, no one understands what it's like to play in Philadelphia until you're here. I mean, and the fact that he's been here five years, he should know the expectations and what he needs to bring to the table uh, because playing in Philadelphia is not like playing in Milwaukee. It's not like playing in Orlando where people don't care whatsoever. I mean, this is a town where you better deliver 
or you're going to be gone. And you're and, and you you better even if you aren't you don't have the most ultra talent in the world, you still better be able to work hard and chip in and do your part. Yep. Now, yeah. before, how about how about Tobias Harris? Sorry, T for interrupting, no, no, but how about Tobias Harris being shocked by the Sixers? That came as a surprise to me because mm-hmm. one, you have a guy you can't get rid of now, and then you're going to go ahead and just try to get rid of that number. Uh, he he was at, at some points of the season that number two guy, um, and it, it seems like the Sixers are really just trying to get rid of anybody now because they see that their asking price for Ben Simmons is high, which it should be. And that'll be my next question. What you guys think of the high asking price, but do you agree with also shopping Tobias Harris? Uh, no, not at all. I don't agree with shopping Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris can, can be easily be a number three, or number four option. I just think he was elevated to a number two option based off of the fact that you're not going to get a whole lot of scoring from Ben Simmons. All right. Because of Ben Simmons and his lack of ability or his lack of uh, his, his, his unwillingness to shoot the ball, it elevated everybody a notch up on the meter. Of course, Joel Embiid is going to be the number one option, but everybody else got pushed up during that season. Tobias Harris is not a number two. Um, it's not a number two scorer. He's really a number three and number four. And I think he's more comfortable in that position. You just need to go out and find a number two. All right. You can find a number two. It's it's not as hard as finding a number one, but you need a number two score. I don't agree with with uh, with them shopping Tobias Harris. And in terms of what they're the asking price for it with Ben Simmons, I mean that's just that's just negotiation one on one. You start off high, so I can't get mad at that. But if you think you're not going to move your position on how much you want, how much you're going to get for Ben Simmons, and you think somebody's really going to give you all that with, that you're asking for, you got another thing coming. You know, the entire league knows what how, what Ben Simmons is now. You're not going to get all those things. So, do I think ultimately will Daryl Morey come down on his asking price for Ben Simmons? Yeah, I think I will. But you got to start off high, and I can't blame him for that. Um, you know, God, Ben Simmons, you know, just. Sit back and just the guy, the, the amount of pain this guy's put us through. Um, take a, take the shot out of it. Uh, the shot, the three point shot, whatever the scoring. I take a look at the Milwaukee Bucks last year. Right. You know, you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, you have Joel Embiid. You know, those are two superstar players. Chris Middleton took a huge step forward. He was something. Uh, he was a player that I didn't expect him to take that big of a leap forward. That's kind of what I was hoping Tobias Harris would do. Um, and that's kind of where I hope Tobias Harris can get to. And then you look at the third guy they had, and that's Drew Holiday, a guy that can score when needed, can shoot it a little bit. Very, very, very solid defender. And that's kind of where I wanted Ben Simmons to be, except Ben Simmons probably more talented defensively. Obviously, his wingspan, his height, he can guard one through five, but the offensive game isn't there. My whole thing with Ben Simmons doesn't revolve around anything with the jump shot. It doesn't have anything to do with on-the-court ability as far as playing in a regular season, scoring, passing. Uh, it's it's about the work ethic and the inability to really buy into it. I don't think it's like he doesn't want to get better, and that's why I think his stock isn't going to get any higher. I think can, from this point on, you're going to see the same player in a regular season, a guy that's ultra talented. You're going to see the same guy crumble in the playoffs. That's why it's you know imperative that we get rid of him now because it's there's nothing going to be a turnaround. Yeah. And even if there is, we don't have time to wait around for it. Uh, Joel Embiid's in his prime right now. We need to go out there and make a trade happen, get whatever you can. I hope it's better than a Malcolm Brogdon or a Colin Sexton. I hope it's something bigger than that. I was hoping maybe for a Buddy Heald or De'Aaron Fox, but you need a point guard. Like That's why I thought Kyle Lowry was great, because Kyle Lowry almost is like a Drew Holiday type. He's a good defender. He's a gritty guy on defense. 
he bought, he would buy into the city of Philadelphia because he's around here uh, and he can score the basketball, which Ben Simmons can't do. Uh, so if you had Kyle Lowry, Tobias Embiid with a couple of role players, um, that would be very, very solid. Of course, he's in Miami now, so yeah. we won't be able to get him. And my last point is PJ Tucker, I thought was one of the best gets at the trade deadline last year. I mean, PJ Tucker to the Bucks, uh, his gritty style of defense, corner three, almost like a three and D type player. Very solid defense for what you can do on Kevin Durant in that series. One of the main reasons, in my opinion, why they won. Uh, they won seven games, of course, with the injuries and whatnot. Kyrie being hurt, it is what it is. But P.J. Tucker played a pretty solid defense for what you can on Kevin Durant. And that's kind of what the Sixers lacked last year. They lacked like that number four guy. If you could have slotted P.J. Tucker in there with Harris, Embiid, Curry, and Simmons, that would be a hell of a starting five. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. So you got to really sit back here uh, if Daryl Morey. Of course, he's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. But uh, you can't sit here and tell me right now that Ben Simmons is going to come back here and we're going to run this thing back because, Ooh. again, we're probably just going to be a second or maybe – if, it, like in my opinion, if Embiid's healthy last year with that knee injury and it's not 100% bothering him, I think we could have beaten the Hawks just because he's, he's a superstar player. Not uh, and that single-handedly could have won us. But we wouldn't have beaten the Nets or the Bucks in the conference finals. And that's kind of think where our ceiling is as long as Ben Simmons is still in a six-year uniform. Now, speaking of Kyle Lowry, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's something that – you know, me and you discussed off camera and it's how in the hell are some of these NBA players getting the money that they're getting? This is absolutely ridiculous. I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. I've, I should have, I should have played basketball. This is a, I, I can at least play defensive and rebound the damn ball. This is absolutely ridiculous. Kyle Lowry got a three year, $90 million contract to go to Miami. Three years, ninety million. That's thirty million dollars a year for a thirty-five-year-old. I really, seriously, this is what we're paying guys now. Duncan Robinson, five years, ninety million. Like this is Norman Powell. Who the hell is Norman Powell? Five years, ninety million dollars. I just looked up his stats. The guy never touched 20, 20 points per game. Who the hell is Norman Powell? Sean Holmes, four years, fifty-five. Kelly Olynyk, three years. 37 for con cork mouse three years fee 15 uh fully guaranteed by the way three years three uh three years 15 mil with the sixers fully guaranteed for cork Maz. uh lonzo ball four years 85 million dollars with the bulls i mean it is it is kind of ridiculous um in my opinion i think alex caruso got a really solid chunk of money uh in chicago as well there uh for a guy that really hasn't done anything yeah jared allen 100 million dollars uh, i know it's it's it, it is it is crazy <laughs> Um, luckily right now the Sixers don't really have any money to spend right now. So they're not going out there and overspending for these guys, but I agree with you. It is a little ridiculous. I want to real quick wrap this up here with T, uh, excuse me, Tanner and talk about his trip to Pittsburgh. And also he, he got to see Kyle Gibson make a debut Ian Kennedy, give up a two run home run. It is what it is. I mean, a guy that I thought maybe you can come in just solidify a closer's role. He's made two appearances so far in a Philly uniform. He's given up two, two run home runs, which is not one. It's ridiculous. And an old friend and Freddie Galvis coming back to help the defense uh, at shortstop. Yeah, going um, about that Pittsburgh trip, first off, uh, we went to game one and three of the series. Me and a couple of my buddies were able to get seats right behind the Phillies dugout nice. um, at, at PNC uh, on national television all day long. Um, but you could see our gloomy faces around the fourth <laughs> inning of the game already. 
Um, but of course, we stayed through. We were chirping at Joe Girardi. Why are you keeping Vince Velasquez in? No, right now, Joe. Why? <laughs> why? Why? Why are you keeping him in right now? Because that guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Go sit down uh, on the bench instead of hearing us talk. But uh, going into the actual gameplay, uh, that was a, a poor performance by the Phillies. Game one. But going into game three, because that that was more recent, obviously, is Kennedy coming in, given that two-run homer. I'm going to bring this up first. The games, the Phillies notched up 15 15 runs. Um, And it's funny because right before that home run, actually, uh, my guys were talking about uh, wanting to see a home run because the whole series was dry of home runs. Um, You have Jacob Stalins getting that walk-off little – whatever that was, uh, to, to end the game, um, really just upsetting. You have the worst team in the MLB, and we're sitting there hearing the Pirates fans chirp on us about our performance. It's embarrassing, but going to Kyle Gibson, really strong performance uh, first first game for the Phils, and, and his record um, was good going into it, too. I believe, did he have 10? He had 10 wins going into that game? Around there. Um, yeah, around that, and I, around – three or four losses. Um, so definitely you got Vince Velasquez. That's just not going to see a starting spot. Hopefully the rest of the season. What's he here for? Um, Kyle Gibson definitely gave me hope um, until, you know, it was about time to get him out of that game, um, but still a strong performance out of him. And um, I just personally, this is just for me. I don't, I don't think the Phillies did enough at the trade deadline. I don't know what you guys think. Oh, Kyle no. Gibson seven and three overall record right now, so close to ten. Uh, close. He's a, he was an All Star this year, of course, with the Texas Rangers. Uh, as far as the All Star or excuse me, the de- trade that I went, I thought you know we got a starting pitcher which we needed, we got a relief pitcher which we needed, uh, we got a bat. Uh, at least it was for something. I, I thought we probably could use an outfield bat, but uh, we needed to show up that defense. Didi Gregorius has been atrocious at shortstop. Alec Bohm has been a terrible at third base defensively, even though he did make a great play last night late yeah, in that game against the Nationals. Uh, but I will say this, I think Freddie Galvis, a guy who kind of was a fan favorite and also at the end of the day can still swing that bat a little bit. It's not a guy that's going to be an all-star caliber player, but at the end of the day, it's a guy who's going to come in here, a guy who's going to be a, you know, a true professional. And I think that is probably out of the three moves we've made, probably not the one that's going to stand out most. Of course, Kyle Gibson coming in with a sub three ERA and Ian Kennedy's 16 saves under his belt is where you're going to look to first. But I think when Freddie Gallup is healthy off the IL, I think that's a guy you can truly rely on for leadership but also play on the field as well. Hey, guys, speaking of trade, so one of the trade pieces that we traded away was Spencer Howard. And he had some very interesting things to say about how the Phillies organization is run. Let's, let's take a listen to this real quick, fellas. Um, that's a good question. I... <laughs> I was kind of all over the place for a bit, and then uh, they sent me back to Lehigh to build up and get the pitch count up to actual starters pitch count. Um, and then Eflin hurt his knee, so then I just filled in that role. And I'm not sure if that was planned um, to go back and you know do the 85 to 100 pitches in the big leagues, or if that was forced from Eflin. But um, I mean. For the most part, it was starting, and uh, yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, it was tough to uh, to try to find a routine in there. I I did my best to just focus mostly on 
<clears throat> what I could control, you know, arm care routine and weightlifting and stuff like that to try to just be prepared for whatever they threw at me. Um, but even then, like, uh, it's just a, it, it was a tough go up there. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> As I famously said, shut the F up for life. All right. Ain't nobody tell you, to, ain't nobody tell you to start complaining and start, you know, bashing the Phillies organization. Cause you, you didn't perform that well when you was here. So that's just my two cents. I got, I, I, I got something for Spencer Howard. How about maybe play better? <laughs> just, you know, maybe play better. Uh, the ball's on this guy to be complaining and, and talking about, you know, the Phillies moving him around because they, they were trying to give him a chance as much as they could. But um, you got a 572 ERA, uh, your 0 2 record. Um, you got just, I mean, you got 17 bases on balls. You're just walking people. As soon as you step on the mound, there's a walk. Um, it's just, he doesn't have the place to be speaking like that. And you know what? I'm not saying I didn't like Spencer Howard because I I wanted uh, him to play the best he could, obviously, because the Phillies really needed pitching. Um, it's just really weird to hear him. Uh, it sounds like he was complaining and saying he much would, would prefer to be out of Philadelphia. Um, and that's strange to me. (laughs) Well, I agree partially with what you guys are saying, but here's why I'll disagree with you and just play devil's advocate here. The Phillies organization sucks, all right? And uh, let me clarify. They can't develop guys to save their life, this all right? True. We've seen that. Know. There's nobody in the minor leagues they've developed. The, Mickey Moniak, a guy that was drafted in the same class as Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso's up here hitting dingers every night. Mickey Moniak can't even crack the major league roster, let alone triple A. So from his standpoint is I completely understand, that, you know, they're jerking Spencer Howard around. They really don't know what to use him. I get it. His numbers were terrible. He couldn't get his pitch count up high, but when you tell a guy we need you to come up and just uh, at first four, three, four innings where you're at right now with your arm, fine, let's do it. Uh, he comes up, struggles a little bit. All right, we're going to send you down. We're going to build up your pitch count. Then he's got to come back to Philly because he's basically forced into a role that they didn't really explain to him. He just got forced into it because Eflin got hurt. And then he's got to come up here and then he's got to, you know, it's a whirlwind. You know, you're back and forth between Lehigh Valley and the major leagues. You're traveling. You're, you're trying to work your arm strength up. You're not pitching well, which mentally, of course, is that's going to make you, you know, get screwed up in the head too. But from one standpoint, look, his numbers suck, right? I thought he should have been a relief pitcher. I thought maybe even in the closers role because he comes up that first inning, he's a 98, 99 miles an hour on his fastball. Maybe he can – because at the time, Ranger Suarez was still in a, in a middle relief role, and I thought Spencer Howard, the way he can only pitch maybe three innings, maybe you just throw him in the closer role and blow guys away with that fastball. It seemed early on in games he was locating his pitch as well, and he had good command, but it would fall apart in the fourth inning. He started to walk a lot of guys. He couldn't find the strike zone and things like that. But at first, I thought maybe in a closer's role, he he would be better served than the Phillies wanted to, like Dave Dombrowski in the front office wanted to move him into a starting pitcher role because that's where he was. And again, I want to make this point. I don't know if you guys knew this. That he, Spencer Howard in high school and college or whatever, when he was drafted, he was drafted as a relief pitcher. He was a relief pitcher wherever he was, high school. He was never a starting pitcher. I think the Phillies drafted him with the upside of a starter. But let's not forget, he was never, ever a starting pitcher in his career. He was a relief pitcher. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where maybe yeah. the Phillies got their expectations high. Mm-hmm. And and also to mention, that's 19 runs he gave up in just seven starts. And not even all the way through the third inning, even. So he wasn't a guy that the Phillies really were set on having a permanent spot here in the organization. And I do see his side of things. You definitely don't want to be moving around yeah. constantly, Lehigh, back to Philly. 
Um, and I understand that, but it, you're, you're a young guy in the MLB. Why waste your time harping on things of the past? And instead you go in that press conference and talk about the future with the new team that you're, you're on. And that's the part where last I, thing, that, to, to yeah. last thing for me, and I'll throw it to you to close yeah, it out. Uh, I like this move for the Phillies. They needed a starter. They needed a relief pitcher. They needed some sort of defensive help or an outfielder. They got that. Um, and I think with Spencer Howard, one, he was terrible. His stats show that. But also the Phillies, I don't trust them to build any guys and groom them through an organization. So even if we have good top prospects, we're not going to develop them. So you might as well trade them to a different organization. They're not going to work out here and get what you need for this stretch run because truthfully, I believe the Mets are catchable. And as long as Eflin can get healthy and come back into the rotation, I feel like this team has a shot. The offense is just too inconsistent right now. We, we scored, what, 14, 15 runs against the Pirates the other day, come back and we're sweating it last night until we scored big late in the game. It's just too inconsistent. I need guys to start stepping up. I need DD to show me something. I mean, the guy's hitting like 212. He really he's making thirty one million dollars. He needs to play better. And that Tanner, I, I completely agree with I with what you said in terms of, you know, seeing it from his point of view. I, I agree. You know, it, yes, things weren't perfect for you in the Phillies organization. Yes, Max, I agree with you as well. The Phillies organization, they suck at developing players. This is something that we complained about for years. However, you do not go to your new team and you rip your old team. That's not something that you do. You talk about the future and things of that nature. That that was just classless. That's just my personal opinion. So, you guys missed any of this episode, you can always go to philly-experience.simplecast.com. Available on all major downloadable platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, the entire Shabazz. I can't wait till football season. It'll give give us something else to talk about. Because let's be honest here. The, the Sixers free agency has been disappointing. The Phillies have been disappointing. I only got the Phillies making the playoffs at this point. I'm just saying, fellas. Go Birds, baby. Go Birds. You dumbass. <laughs> Get the f*** out. Are you piece of Swiss cheese? We should move it on to sports.